Looking for new threads? Well, we've got you covered at the Music Is Live podcast official merch store over at tpublic.com. Whether it's t-shirts, baseball tees, hoodies, coffee mugs, travel mugs, phone cases, or onesies for your infant rockers and metalheads, you can find everything you're looking for over at the Music Is Live podcast merch store at tpublic. Go to my link tree at l-i-n-k-a-t-r dot e-e forward slash Music Is Live podcast and get your merch today. Buy my stuff and thanks for your support. TerraNut is proud to offer you a natural nut bar chock full of healthy fats, minerals, and protein that meet your demands. Go to their website, www.terranut.com. You can order from them directly, and they will ship it to you. Use my coupon code, LUMAVS, and you will get a 25% discount on your first order. TerraNut Superfood Snacks, www.terranut.com. Don't forget to use coupon code, LUMAVS, at checkout. Fuel your life. You're listening to the Music Is Life podcast with your host, Lou Mabs, on the Rat Sound Review Network. In my travels, I've sampled some of the most exquisite foods the world has to offer. And that's why they've asked me to tell you all about a charming new eatery located right downtown. I'd give my right arm for that secret recipe. Your gracious hostess will direct you to your table. Where you will dine as if there's no tomorrow. So... Breeze on down and don't let anything stand in your way. Oh, uh, this Epicurean haven is called Blood Diner. You got that right, goofball. So, this is Phil Mignon. Ah, saying bon appetit. Oh, mommy. The Blood Diner. First they greet you, then they eat you. No one under 17 admitted. I'll give you uh, 150 bucks if you pose for some pictures. Do you want to buy me again? Yeah, $150. Right. Cool. I'm Jeff. His friends thought he was friendly. His grandmother was trusting. He convinced everyone he met he was sane. My grandma just weighs down the street. We go over there and try to get some jumper cables or something, see if I can find them anyway. You know what? Uh, you gotta be really careful out there. Anything can happen. You, you, you just don't know who you're dealing with out there. I've been jumped a few times out there, too. Jeffrey Dahmer was a stalking nightmare. 20 minutes for 50 bucks. What kind of pictures? Now, is that, is that standard 35-millimeter headshots? Boy, this bit is strong. What you put in this stuff? It's just whiskey. Dizzy, man. So, tell me about yourself. What do you want to know? Let's start with your family. Where have you been, Mom? My family sucks. Anybody home? Up, Mr. Dahmer, the police. 
Music is Live Podcast. This is your host, Lou Maps. Check out everything you need to know about the show over at musicislivepodcast.com. When I say all art is valid, I mean it. It's something I live. And this gentleman right here is my first actor that I'm having on the podcast, and I'm very excited to have him. He is one of the stars of one of my favorite all-time horror comedies called Blood Diner, which was released in 1987. He is also referred to as... The Barnum of Burbank Boulevard. He is the owner of the California Institute of Abnormal Arts in North Hollywood. And he has his own podcast out right now, which I'm really excited to talk about and help him promote called The Fourth Watch Files. It's a huge honor for me to have this guy on because we've been Facebook friends for a while. And I've been a fan of his work since I was 13 years old. Do the math. I'm 40 now. I'm so psyched. I have Mr. Paw freaking crew yeah. on my show. Cheetah. Cheetah. I'm humbled. I'm humbled by all your kind words. Carl, I've, we've messaged each other on Facebook for the better part of six plus years. And, years uh, yeah. This is our first uh, time uh, on a face to face. So I can't thank you enough for being on. Oh, my uh, pleasure. My pleasure. How's everything going? Crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, we, during the scamdemic, we did just tons of shooting. I mean, it's so funny because uh, literally I set the uh, institute up so I could eat between films and it kind of took over. I mean, we've been here for 26 years doing sporadic films through it. But since the p- scamdemic happened, I've been in nine films. We just, I just did another one the other night, all night long. So it's kind of cool in a way, you know, I mean, it's, it, it, it I grew up in a repertory theater group in San Francisco. I mean, literally since I was like sixth grade till I was 20, um, many years. And um, I was trained by one of the best directors I've ever worked with in my life. And there's no one in Hollywood that could come close to this guy. I was so blessed to, uh, to have uh, been instructed by him, you know, like so young learning simple stuff, like finding your light and listening when you, when you're on stage, you know, it's all about listening, how to respond specifically to how the line was just sent, said to you. And when you, when you, he used to take us on weekends of rehearsal. So that's all down. Then when everything is pure, you know, totally memorized, then you can build and create new things and new deeper, you know, we can weave deeper fabrics of, uh, of, of the story. So it's, you know, just amazing, amazing stuff to learn. And, uh, and then I just kind of studied to, uh, for film. And I, um, I was in a, a, an improvisation class. It was got a casting director named Michael Olton. Brilliant, brilliant uh, teacher. He was also uh, an actor. He was, uh, he was one of the hairdressers in Shampoo. <laughs> and uh, he got me my first uh, audition in Hollywood. We, all our class moved down to Hollywood from San Francisco at the same time. And he got me, there was a Hail to the Chief. It was a sitcom with um, that girl from, uh, uh, well, it was Patty Duke was the president. And I was going to mm-hmm. play the son. And I got three three callbacks and then I didn't get it. Um, but it was Helen Hunt was going to be my sister, you know, so funny. That's crazy stuff. Um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, it was that long ago that, we, that I came down here. And um, it was about six months later, actually... I collect cars. I mean, I did at the time. I had a 58 Pontiac Chieftain convertible. And it was gorgeous, pink and gray. And I had a couple of limousines, a 60 and a 61. 
I had a pink Cadillac limo, you know, crazy cars. And I got on my first movie set that way. One time I was had to take the Pontiac down to this uh, shoot called Modern Girls. They were shooting in a, in a warehouse downtown. And I drove down the 405 and it was, I got a suntan and my hair was standing straight up and I walk in and go, oh, there's the doorman. Put him in a tuxedo. Let's get him in there. You know, it's a SAG movie. So you can't say anything. Of course I did. But, uh, and then, but I learned about schmoozing and I already knew about schmoozing. Um, so I kind of found out who the director was and kind of hung by him. And then I hung by the casting director and, uh, and the casting director got my information. And uh, a few months later, he calls me up and goes, Hey man, I got a role you need to read for. And I go, great. What is it? Oh, it's some movie. It's some horror movie. And the guy's retarded. The, the character's retarded and they hate everybody. I go, Oh brother. Oh, great. So they, uh, I, was taken up to the Hollywood Hills to uh, this director's house and or producer's house. And I go in, I go, you know what? I'm not going to play it retarded. I'm going to play it slow and animated. And uh, so they recorded it. And then uh, uh, that was it. And they said, well, we're here from New York in a couple of days. So I went to, I was living in a little place in uh, Sherman Oaks adjacent. And cause I had a pool and I was in my pool when they got the call, you got mm-hmm. the role. I'm like, ah, you know, so excited by that. Little did I know it was going to be four months worth of work for $250. So, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, that's what they paid for a lead role. Yeah. So, I don't know, low budget think, films, they take forever. Yeah, and I mean, that wasn't that low budget, but they're just, you know, I wrote a, uh, I later made movies with Bill Osco, who was one of the producers. And actually, I wrote a, a book based on what we did. It was called Lessons in Scumbag Filmmaking. And it was a joke, <laughs> but it was still, yeah, yeah. But uh, he actually introduced me to the people who uh, uh, funded the uh, Dahmer film, the Jeffrey Dahmer film that I did. Jeffrey and Dahmer, The Secret Life, by the way, available. Yeah, yeah. I, it is available. So I got a call from um, Bill and we're on the phone and Jeffrey Dahmer was on the TV and he's like, you know, you look a little like Jeffrey Dahmer. I'm like, ding. And I went online and I went <laughs> and I got the police interviews from Jeffrey and I wrote my script from that. So literally the dialogue is that I'm the only one that can say that Dahmer saw my movie in prison before he was murdered. No one else can say that. You I mean was, of uh, like all serial killers or just like. No, of any of the Dahmer movies made. I'm the only one that, that, that he saw. I think up until the point where he was murdered in prison, I think you had the only one. Uh, right. There was a, there right. was the one that came out with Jer- Jeremy Renner. Yeah. Way before he did oh. the Avengers films, which was. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. Right. At best. But. Um. So, and I was literally interviewed in front of his apartment door before they tore the building down. It was amazing, you know, standing in front of the actual door. I just reached out and touched it. And uh, they took a picture of me touching the door the next day. Carl Cruz, star of Jeff Dahmer, makes love to Jeffrey Dahmer's door, you know. And like the director was furious. And I'm like, oh, dude, you can't pay for that kind of publicity. Come on, you know. But by the time we got as, to As P.T. Barnum says, there's no such thing as bad publicity. Amen. That's right. By the time we get to Maury Povich, which was in New York back then, it was before the Who's Your Father, um, when he was kind of a, you know, a decent... Or, or uh, the teen boot camp one. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> they whipped him into a frenzy in the back because they wanted ratings, ratings, ratings. I got slapped. You know, I was like, I was thrilled. I was like, I kept smiling every time I was attacked. Um, yeah, but, because God knows you eat like, you know, human brains and things like that, Carl. I mean, come well, on. Well, you know, but really, I mean, I do have empathy for these people. I, I, I felt weird about posting that again because, uh, you know, I mean, God bless all these people that go this horror. It's a horror to go through losing your person, losing your family. Cause I get it. I get it. But I was being attacked back then and I was young, you know, and I was like, yeah, okay. I'm kind of a different person now, you know, uh, uh, in a way. Um, 
because I, I, I deeply empathize with people who have gone through this. I, uh, I used to be a mortician. You know, I lived at a mortuary for five years. I was an apprentice embalmer. You know, yeah, I had a whole time. It came in handy when I did the Dahmer film. Yeah. I had a whole series of questions that I was going to ask you and you're answering all of them before I ask you. Them. Yeah. Um, yeah, I lived Good. at the mortuary for five years. Actually, there's a really creepy story. Uh, my business partner now for the Institute, we had the two student apartments above the mortuary back in the day. We were both apprentice embalmers. And we got together years later down here and set up a club with dead bodies. Figure that out. Yeah. We would go hiking. This was in San Rafael and right over the, the, uh, from San Francisco. And there was Muir Woods, Mount Tamalpais. We'd go hiking up there all the time. And one time we were hiking up there. We parked the car in, the, in this parking lot area with a payphone. And we start hiking up Mount Tam. You know, it's just a beautiful park. And it's gorgeous. We get up to the top, towards the trail on the top. And there's this kook um, stomping around like, with, you know, like kooky. And I'm like, oh, well, San Francisco, whatever. You know, we just kept going. And then we got closer and he looked at us and he waved us back with a gun. I said, mm-hmm. and we flew, <laughs> we flew down the hill and went to the payphone, which no one knows what that is, but I picked up a payphone and I called the cops and they, and I said, there's somebody up there with a the gun. And they're like, okay, we'll send somebody, you know, we'll send somebody down. And this woman jogs by me. She's going up there. I go, don't go up there. There's a guy with the gun. She goes, ah, ha, ha, yeah. 10 minutes later, bang. Oh, dear that God. was the last victim of the trailside killer carpenter. You, you, you yeah. experienced all. But wait, there's more. It gets worse. It gets worse. Okay, oh, there's a God. book called The Sleeping Lady, which is about Mount Tamalpais. They called Mount Tamalpais The Sleeping Lady. This was all about Carpenter, the serial killer. Okay, so on the back of the book is my business partner and two other morticians pulling that victim out of the bushes. But wait, there's more. It gets worse. The serial killer knew our mortuary was burying her. So his personalized license plate was seen driving by during during the uh, funeral service and then when we found out that that was his that was his personal plate we realized we had seen him in san francisco a bunch of times like right in front of our hearse when we went in to pick up bodies and stuff and it turned out the guy lived two blocks from uh, robert my business partner when he lived up in twin peaks and tried to sell him some pot one time like, you just can't write this stuff, man. It's just crazy, crazy, crazy. So, uh, is this just like, uh, like California living, or is this just like, well, you know, it's so weird. I mean, like, I grew up in the best time. I mean, I am so blessed to grow up in San Francisco when I did, you know, the 70s and the 80s. Wow. I mean, I moved out of there in 80, 84. Yeah. I've been down in Hollywood for about over a little 30 years. Uh, but, um, I mean, it's just gone compared to that. I mean, I went to Playland as a kid, you know, Playland before they tore it down. And that ruined my whole life. I mean, I'm just, that just changed my whole life. Laughing Sal, ah, 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 and all that great stuff, all the clowns. Yeah, that was just, uh, uh, it was very, very essential for me to, to have go through that. I loved it. And just, there's, there's all kinds of amazing opportunities that I had and stuff. And, uh, and, and also there was also, you never knew really how dangerous it really was. We would just go out with all, a bunch of friends of mine, a bunch of crazy actors, and we just tear all over that city, you know, party up a storm. And, uh, I mean, I got stabbed, uh, coming home on a streetcar one time and this gang jumped out and stabbed me. I ended up in the hospital. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And I woke up in a hospital and got stabbed and they were like, wow, what happened? You know, oh. I identified the guy that, that stabbed me and it came within a quarter inch of puncturing my lung you know like i was 17 
And um, there was other times when we were out partying in this place called Fort Bragg, which is on the hill overlooking the ocean. It's like an old bunker. It's really cool. It's inside a mountain. It's so cool. And we were partying there, and all of a sudden, all these lights go on, and the cops are there, and they're like, you got to get out of here. There's a serial killer loose here. You know? I'm like, oh, okay. It's San Francisco. You know? <laughs> That's something you hear Whatever, every day yeah. in normal life. Yeah, it's, it's a, it was a lot more common. I mean, I think, well, you know, what's really amazing is that my best, one of my best friends as a kid, Ingo Bodwin, his youngest brother, Norman Bodwin, was the last victim of the Zodiac Killer. And I was just on George Norrie for a little bit talking about this. There was a big deal about it. He was stabbed in a Petrini's Market, which was uh, in Stonestown, a couple blocks from my house. Are we talking the original Zodiac Killer yeah, or the, the copycat original, killer yeah. in the 90s? Okay, yeah. the original. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it just kind of followed me, you know. Uh, uh, yeah, so weird. But I'm on to bigger and better things now, baby. Amen. Jesus H. Goddamn Christ! I have seen the light! That's I awesome. Spent the last two and a half years working on the uh, script for my great uncle. And his name was Jerry Crew. And he named Bigfoot. He took the first really? class cast on Mount Shasta in 1958. And there's a picture of him holding the cast that went global in 1958 and he was a he was not a, he was a logger and my father was there and my other uncle was there so this is family history and i spent two and a half years writing the screenplay and stacks of yellow newspaper articles and stacks of magazines all covering jerry crew if you go on google and type in jerry crew bigfoot you'll see articles that he named bigfoot there's articles uh, of showing him you know just tons tons of stuff so uh, I interviewed most of the people that were still alive, and uh, it was absolutely fascinating. I just finished it a couple months ago, yeah. So I'm actually starting to work on Dahmer number two. Dahmer number two. <laughs> Other than his trial, I guess I would, would that probably be what the premise would be about? No. Wait for it! The prison years. Ah. Dahmer became a Christian in prison. You know, it's something that a lot of people don't uh, talk about. Uh, they I know, only refer I know. it's going to blow people's minds, too, because... You know, well, he was just a last minute, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. He struggled for a year. Okay. He took a Bible course and he made friends with the, the uh, pastor and the pastor would come and visit him. And he was saying, well, I can't believe that God would, could ever forgive me about what I did. I just can't believe it. I can't believe it. And finally he said, no, it's not by works that you get to heaven. It's just by accepting Jesus. You know, that's it. You know, it's, and so you still can. And so he did. He accepted Jesus. And then he wanted to be baptized. And they wouldn't let him. And uh, so he made friends with another priest who snuck in and baptized him in, in secret, basically. And then he was murdered two weeks later. Wow. So if Jeffrey Dahmer's in heaven, child, hey, yeah. yeah <laughs> I oh, mean, too that's bad. A... I could never go to heaven. Come on. You know, that's my a huge undertaking said, uh, for you to take. It's the people that have been forgiven the most that are the most grateful to be forgiven. Yeah. So there's no one, you know, if you're still breathing, you still have the opportunity to do it. So, but fascinating story. I found a lot more ugly dirt on him too, that he was deeply involved in the occult towards the end, that there was two years of him being medically trained by the military to, in, in, uh, to interview people through, you know, torture. And that's where all this came from. Um, there was a lot of people they don't know about that went missing in Germany when he was stationed for two years in Germany. And uh, yeah, just fascinating stuff. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, so that was a trip. <laughs> I assume that the first film that you were talking about was Blood Diner. They uh, actually wanted you to play a mentally slow person. No, they wanted me to play a retard. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
I thought George was a wacko, but I didn't think, you know, like the I mean, way you imagine played the was... auditions. I wish I could see the audition. No wonder no, no one got it. You know, everything yeah. about that film was just perfect. It's safe to say that the producers of the film originally wanted to do sort of like a sequel to Herschel Gordon Lewis's Blood, Beast. Blood yeah, Beast. Absolutely. But, but it ended up getting was... a life of its own. Exactly. That's exactly what happened. So, and you know, it's so odd because, uh, I mean, this is my first lead role, you know, and in, in a film. And of course, I've had many, many lead roles as in the in the theater. It was like, yeah, you know, and we're gonna have the big opening in Seattle. We're gonna be we flew up there with Jackie and Bill and everybody, and and it was packed. And we did Q and A afterwards, and it was like hugely received. It was incredible. Then we went up to the hotel afterwards and called in for the numbers. Oh, that's when we found out that Vestron was pissed off at Jackie and opened it in two theaters with no advertising. Are you Thank serious? You. Yeah. That had a vendetta. That would have been the perfect midnight film right next to like Toxic Avenger or anything trauma released. Yeah, they were crazy. They were crazy. They, they, they were burning bridges because they don't care. You know, I and think they, they actually they went out of business shortly after that. What, Vestron? Well, it was a few years after that. But, uh, but the point is, is that, they, you know, you don't, you don't burn the bridges that you're using right now. You know, you just like, just for the fun of it. I mean, uh, I worked with Bill for many years afterwards. We did a bunch of movies together, and uh, Jackie hates me because of it. I mean, when they just released the DVD or the uh, Blu-ray, um, Lionsgate called me and said, you got to come down and sign these things at this uh, place where we're doing it. And uh, I said, fine. And I came down, and uh, and uh, the, the, the man from Lionsgate, oh, well, Jackie, uh, she doesn't want anyone else her, just her. And the woman at the uh, place, she knew me. She goes, no, 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 please stay. People are going to want to get your signature. I said, no, I'll just go down to portals and get a iced tea and come back. So I came back and I did. And then there was Jackie sitting there at a the table. And I walk up and go, hi, Jackie. Oh, and no. She did, and you are. And what? I'm like, I go, uh, Carl Crew. Yes. Starting like okay. I said, you know what? Just for old time's sake, can we get a picture together? Uh-huh. And she had just taken a picture with the janitor. And she goes, oh. No, I don't do pictures. Oh, for and I'm like, I go, really? We're we're still in seventh grade. Come on, come on, just for old times' sake. Like, no, I won't do it. And I go, Jurig, the DP. I go, come on, let's go. No, she can't. Won't let me. I go, okay, fine. And this and is I all because you... I took all I took all the people that were waiting at her table over to my table, and I was signed a DVD, whatever, blah blah blah. And this is all you because know? you maintained a relationship with Bill Osco. Yeah, because they got a divorce. Yeah, they, they 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 hated each other. I didn't even realize they were married. Oh yeah, they were married for five years. Yeah, I oh, used to go wow. out. To, they had a beautiful uh, house in uh, Malibu. I'd go out and cut bushes, you know, for extra money and stuff, you know. And um, yeah, they were off there, but yeah, it just fell apart and uh, it was really bad. And um, yeah, Bill uh, passed away uh, about a year and a half ago. My condolences, because I know you were. Yeah, that with was them. hard. Yeah, I have a lot of really funny memories, but he was a uh, like. Uh, he didn't have a great artistic sense, but he knew how to make a film. You know, he treated actors like furniture and uh, he knew how to make a film. He taught me how to make a film. I, we did, we did a movie called gross out, which I don't want to really talk about. Um, oh, and, uh, we don't have to talk film. about it, but uh, it is a notorious midnight film. Yeah. I wrote it. For, it played for 10 years in the movie theaters and my name's not on it anywhere. And actually Dino Lee, who was in it, who was also the king of white Diamond. trash. Yes. <laughs> been my dear friend for many years and uh, we totally recut that film it's called white trash now and uh it's, it's a million times better we took all the garbage out and uh 
we made it black and white. It's just absolutely cool. So we're going to try like to, to see a version that. of that if one ever becomes available. Yep, yep, yep. But, uh, you know, it's, not, it's just my college film. I'm not, I didn't want to put my name on it because it's not what I'm about at all. But, uh, you know, I grew up in the midnight movie theaters of San Francisco. So Eraserhead, Pink Flamingos, all that stuff, anything outrageous, you know, I, I, I loved all that stuff. So. Bill Osco, I knew of his name prior to Blood Diner because I've, I've always been a cinephile. And although I had never seen them, I do know that two films that he had produced, one was Flesh Gordon. And Alice and in Wonderland the, and the Alice yeah. in Wonderland, the triple X musical. <laughs> and, and these are these are these are R rated by today's standards. But when they came out, they were X, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, today there are. And um, yeah, I mean, when he first did uh, uh, Alice in Wonderland, he was 23 and he was living in the Bee Gees mansion. That's how much money he made. I mean, millions of millions, $26 million he made on that movie. Just, you know how much that was back then? Holy moly. I mean, count inflation, I guess, multiplied by 10. Probably. Practically, yeah. And he's living in the Bee Gees mansion, you know. And uh, actually, Jackie Kong was, I guess, a uh, stepdaughter of Marlon Brando. One time, they, they flew me up to, uh, to uh, Vegas to pretend to be a German investor. for. They are going to do a documentary on Globe, Gorgeous Girls of Wrestling. Oh. So I flew in. <laughs> I pretended to be a German investor, you know. And I, I got to watch Jackie Kong gamble. Mm-hmm. which was very interesting. She taught me a couple of things. Uh, you sit around, you watch these old ladies gambling on all these machines and you, they, they're there all night shoving their money and shoving them. And they just, Oh, huh, and they walk away. That's when you go and gamble on their machine and usually you can win. Yeah. It's like learning to do that. Yeah. I, I presently have a rule with gambling. I hate to gamble because I hate to lose money, mm-hmm. but I have a $20 limit. So I will play $20 and I'll walk. <laughs> And but usually, uh, you know, if I win, if I win five dollars in and I win two hundred dollars, I'll walk. As soon as you win, you walk, and that's it. And you never get screwed that way. Only I for had, twenty bucks. I went from the five dollar blackjack tables to the penny slots. I'm happier with the penny slots. And yeah, uh, but you can't win anything with the penny slots. You know, I used okay. to collect coin ops. You know, I had jukeboxes mm-hmm. and slot old slot machines and. And I love coin ops. You know, I had an antique store in the Haight-Ashbury. So, I mean, seeing these giant, beautiful slot machines with all these incredible graphics is gorgeous to me. It's so much fun. So, uh, but I'm not, I won't be tempted beyond 20 bucks. Sorry. Well, I have a greater gamble than uh, casinos, and that's raising a three-year-old daughter. Anyways. <laughs> oh, child, amen. Man, you would put all the money into that. Yeah. What's I have been. They got for 529s. What's your name? What's her name? Anna. Yeah. Oh, God bless you. That's so cool. Thanks. Yeah, named after my uh, my grandmother on my mother's side. So Very cool. Beautiful. Thank you. I won't show photos of her because that's, you know, not for you to know. My daughter's m- my, for me, not for you. Amen. Not, not Amen. for you, Carl. I mean for the audience. <laughs> yeah. No, I get it. So one of the things that uh, I definitely love about the film Blood Diner itself is the acting. I thought all the actors did such a great job including uh, Rick Burke, rest in peace. He's so cool. Yeah. And uh, Drew Goddard, who played Uncle yeah. Anwar. Count uh, on uh, Sesame Street. Th- that's who we voiced him after? No, but that's what the people compare him to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I mean, everyone. I mean, I, I wish I could remember them all, the, the names, but uh, the actors who played the officers, uh, Sheba Jackson and... Uh, yeah, Sheba. And- they call her the Tootie. Is this Tootie? There's a really great... She looks like Kim Fields. That's crazy. 
Good Flicks, Bad Flicks, Blood Diner. They did a great review of it. I was really happy when I saw that review. That was really cool. And they, they keep comparing her to 2D and stuff. It's so funny. I'm facts of life and stuff. Um, I have to ask you, the police first... chief. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Okay. That's a whole nother. Di- well, the police chief was hilarious, too. But then there's always Mark Shepard. Oh, yeah. Ah, yes. The yes. 1970s clad Mark Shepard. Yeah. I still am friends with him today. Robert, uh, Mr. Dower, yes. Roger Dower. Richard Burks or Rick Burks was a really, really kind actor. People don't know that. I mean, when I first got on the set, Bill Osco and them, they just love to taunt people and set people up and do pranks on people and, and mm-hmm. just nail people, you know. And, and I was not ready for this, you know. And they were doing it to me and Rick took me aside. Dude, dude, just give it back full barrel. You know, who cares? Don't worry <laughs> about it. And I did. And then we were having a blast. And then it was fun. But there were times when I was doing my close-ups where he would stay on set and give me face, you know, so I could react to something. And I was very kind of him. He was a, he was a cool guy. Yeah. Um, we did one more movie together before he uh, was in the accident, and that was a Night Patrol, mm-hmm. which was later called The Underachievers, yeah. And that was another confrontation, yes. <laughs> uh, but actually, he introduced me to David Bowie. Really? Yeah, he was in a, um, days was in in a Bowie days video, I think. Days In, Days Out video with David Bowie. He was in that. And we were shooting underachievers downtown and uh, it was midnight and he's like, we're on lunch break. He goes, ah, come on, I'm going to introduce you to somebody. Oh, really? Downtown. Okay, fine. We went around the corners of this dive bar. There's mm-hmm. only two people in there. We walk in. Oh, that's Adrian Blue from King Crimson. I'm like, yeah, that's I go, crazy. Hey, man, what's up? He said, oh, and that's David. And there was David Bowie on a little stage. And I, I didn't fawn. I've been listening to him all my life. And mm-hmm. I said, Thank you so much for your work. I, I've listened to it all my life. I love it. And he mm-hmm. was really cool and very kind to me. It was very nice. So, and I kept having to think, wow, did this really happen? I couldn't even believe it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it sure did. That so is... yeah, unfortunately, he was in a band and I had this club for 26 years and he never made it long enough for him to play here. So, But, oh, but Rick, Dookie, oh, yeah. Flyswa- Dookie Flyswatter, the writer... Michael Sonia, yes. Haunted Garage, yeah, and he played her a few times. I'm actually being interviewed Thursday for a documentary on Dookie. Yeah, I think he, I think Haunted Garage posted that recently on Facebook. Yeah, I, I knew about Dookie Flyswatter because of Haunted Garage, but I didn't realize <laughs> that Dookie Flyswatter is Michael Sonia, one of the writers oh, yeah. of Blood Diner and Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers and all kinds of uh, and Surf Nazis. And Surf must Nazis die. must die. Yeah. yeah. He's got a long, long list of movies he's written. Yeah, I was just uh, Jimmy Maslin, the other producer, just asked me uh, the, yesterday, "Did I ever send you Blood Feast 2 that Dookie wrote?" I go, "No, send it over, man. I want to see it." He wrote that film that Herschel Gordon Lewis directed in two thousand one. No, oh, because oh, that's the only he, Blood Feast two I know. Um, I don't think this was ever made. I don't think this this one was. Ever oh, made. okay, all right. But I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it was. I don't know. I don't think so though. I literally wrote Blood Dinner. Yeah, the sequel. It's the sequel. 25 so, years later. So would this yeah. be sort of a uh, a resurrection of George Namtut? Oh, yeah, because you could do anything with the magic of Sheetar. 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 So they're, what they do, they're set up in a, in a public hospital, the worst place you could be, instead of like <laughs> some third world country, and they're just going to town, you know? And it's like, it, it opens with Georgie being interviewed as this new chef that's that everyone's flocking to this hospital because of his food is so good. It's just never been heard of. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's getting some attention, but they're really running a, a meat thing in the basement, you know. Uh, so it's really it's. I wrote it halfway through, and I go, "Wow, this is too crazy." I put it down. Was it still going with the vegetarian angle that Blood Diner no. had? Oh, no, okay. No. no, it was full on. 
And I, oh, but nice. I picked it up. I said, well, it's not too much. It's, it's exactly what it should be. So I finished it. And it's hilarious. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with that. I have no idea. My two favorite scenes had to have been the scene where you guys cut off Stan's arms. Oh, I love that. Rival yeah. diner. And as he's driving and my wife, who's not a fan of <laughs> horror films, she actually watched yeah. this film with me and cracked up laughing at the scene where <laughs> he's driving and yeah, yeah, shooting he his sir. windshield wipers. I'll get you, I'll show you. Make me a cripple, will you? Cut off my hands and left them, and uh, also the uh, scenes that you had with uh, little Jimmy Hitler, the pro wrestling scene. Mr. Hitler! Not Master the Talents, Lance Turner, you not Eric Scumhead, who sing as your fandom, so that's me, little Jimmy Hitler, and meet me here this Thursday night, and I'll be ready to wipe the man with a huge scotch melon, fight weapons, audacious enough to try to strike the vessel supremacy. That's this Thursday night here, baby, spear! Now that's where I, I, I got hurt with one of the throws, and I said, no, I need more money. And Rick Burks did too. He said, we're not going to continue. This was the last shot, the last scenes we were shooting in the movie. We said, no, we're not coming out until we get paid more money. So they gave us a few more hundred dollars, whoop-de-doo, yeah. But, uh, Whatever yeah, happened but, to those actors, uh, the actors who played Stan and uh, little, little Jimmy Hitler? Well, uh, that was uh, good old Bob. Bob, we uh, did a, another movie with him called Lunch with Larry, which was a takeoff on My Dinner with Andre. Mm-hmm. And it was a disaster. It was just, it was just unwatchable because of what built it to it later with a bunch of people with the unknown comic and everything else. It just ruined it. But okay. the concept was that he was the biggest liar in Hollywood. It was all shot in one, in one location in a bar. Mm-hmm. And I was this idiot actor that wandered in and believed everything he said. And he was just telling all these insane stories just about Madonna and everybody just he screwed everybody. Just, I mean, just the biggest lies you could possibly imagine. It was, and that that in itself was funny. And that's where we first introduced. Uh, well, no, no, no. We did another movie called Urban Legends. Yeah, that was an awful, awful. Was, I can't even watch it. But what that really was, I wrote a script called Urban Legends, which was three hundred urban legends happening to one girl in one night and she becomes one at the end a week before we were going to shoot bill's like oh we don't have the money for this you gotta write something else <laughs> okay so we had like two days to write a bunch of scripts you know what we did was we created this character for dino lee called rusty defage and oh, he geez. talks like this and he says he's married and has 2.5 children and he wore a big beehive wig you know it was, it was hilarious yeah. so we did it blah 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 and they ruined the film it was just unwatchable and uh but later on dino and i did a radio show called the rusty defage show we did mm-hmm. it for a year and we did it out of kiev in which is a very conservative station in glendale and i paid for the we i it was pay you pay for your time you know so, so like an infomercial out, sort of kind yeah, of an infomercial for radio day and i'd go into different places and i i did a deal with the station you know and i and i go into a company i get their brochures and i go to the station i cut commercials with a professional uh announcer and then i come back and go hey i can get this for this amount of money you could play this in this amount of time and bam 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 for a year i kept getting money just to be on the air so this was a call-in show the Rusty DeFoss show. And it was freaking hilarious, man. I mean, you have no idea. We got in so much trouble. I mean, every time we did a show, the next day I'd get a call from the owner. Rusty DeFoss cannot say he smells women's periods through the phone. And oh, I'm like, dear God. Oh. Yeah. I mean, 
You have no idea. Uh, actually, what we had been doing it for a year, and all the member of the writers for Saturday Night Live were our, were our fans, and they would send us letters and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was it starting to take off. You know, I would go in the other room and call in all these people as Dusty Defarge, his uh, lesbian wife. You know, I never said it was, but yes, a rusty son of a bitch. You know, and I call him and give. We were all giving him shit all the time. Oh man. Um, and I call in his hello. There's all these different voices. It was a lot of fun, but. Eventually, people really started calling in. It was crazy, and um, it started to get really popular. So we thought, well, you know, let's take this over to David Hall at KFI. Mm-hmm. And so you can't get an appointment. I said, well, just walk in. So we literally just walked into his office. Says, yeah, we have a 1030 appointment with David Hall. And, uh, um, uh, what's your name? Uh, no, I don't have you down. Oh, there must be some mistake. We just drove here all the way. We're supposed to have an appointment. You go, go ask him. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, you don't have a point. We just came in from Beverly Hills. You know, can you just go ask him? Okay. So she did. And he comes out and he was really pissed. <laughs> we Probably got thrown out. Be interrupted. <laughs> he got, th- we got, we threw us out. Oh but man. Before he threw us out, we gave him our tapes and told him what we have done. He took this tape, these tapes, and he did the Phil Hartman or Phil something show, this other Colin show. That was exactly our show. He stole it. And this guy got really famous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we did some crazy stuff, too. Uh, there was um, we well, would trade commercial time for a limo ride every every time we go do it. You know, this old guy in a limo would come pick me up and, hey, you want to smoke a joint? I said, no, no, no. And like we go in this limo, we go pick up Dino in, in uh, Glendale and we go to the station in Glendale. One time we went to pick up Dino and he would do the whole radio show in full makeup and the big hair and the, you know, red little suit and the whole deal was hilarious. He was full costume. He was the character, you know, and we came around the corner to pick him up in his car, his Cadillac, bam, into a tree. Oh, no. And he was drunk. And uh, I'm like, ah, and so. He spent years being drunk performing, so he knew, you know. He came over and hopped in the limo, and we went to do to the uh, to the station, and he did it like he was depressed. He played it like he was depressed. Oh, my life is so horrible! And people were going, "Oh, Rusty, it's going to be better. It's going to be no, I can't take it anymore." You know, he just played it off, and then I called him up and gave him a bunch of crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like his wife, you know. And what happened was. We went off 10 minutes early with due to difficulty. But he said he jumped. I'm going to jump out this window. And he, oh, oh. And then we went off due to technical difficulty. We could not blah, blah, blah. And the last 10 minutes was just this announcement. You know? And like 600 calls came in. The fire people, the police called. We got, we got in so much trouble. It was ugly. It was so ugly. And, oh, uh, uh, and the next week he came back and I, I landed in a dipsy dumpster. You know, we just kept going, you know. <laughs> It was it was a lot of fun. Uh, there's a page on Facebook, Rusty Defage, which has some of it on there. But uh, I'm trying to get him to turn to get all the old tapes and get them transferred. But yeah, Dino Lee, he's an amazing guy. He's actually recording with um, uh, a bunch of like people like like uh, Mark Lindsay from uh, Paul Revere and the Raiders. He's doing his new album. Mm-hmm. He's like an incredible musician, Dino. Yeah, amazing. He's amazing. Blows my mind every time I talk to him. Plays him some stuff. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. Uh, I was so happy because he was so crazy, but now he has four kids and a beautiful wife. And he's like, yeah, baby. Woo-hoo. Yeah, he's, he, made, he did really well. Yeah, He'll always live on in my mind from the scene in Blood Diner. But another, one of, your- yeah. <laughs> but another one of your films 
that I wanted to touch upon was Jeffrey Dahmer, The Secret Life. And you had brought this film to my attention many years ago. I just never got around to watching it until about a couple of weeks ago because I saw that it was available on YouTube and my wife and daughter were not in the house at the time. So I was able to watch it freely. And I have to say that it was probably one of the best films about because I do watch horror and I do watch I do watch ID Discovery. I'm not going to lie. And it was probably one of the best adaptations of one of the most horrific serial killers that ever happened and oh. that, that, that ever lived. And I have to say, I thought your acting in it was great. Um, Appreciate that. I'm a history buff. I Me like too. to look into, you know, the events that occurred prior to it that led to it. And I also like looking at the aftermath. One of the things that I, I don't remember this film ever coming out in theaters. And there were still a lot of grindhouse theaters in New York where I'm from at the time where I was growing up. And there were still a lot of mom and pop shops, video shops, which is where I found Blood Diner. But I never heard of this film until you brought it to my attention. My mother did used to watch all the talk shows growing up. One of them was Maury. And I saw that you posted the entire episode. And as I'm watching it, and I've always said this. If there's one thing I remember about the talk shows is that there was always a crazy reaction. And this is before Jerry Springer, mind you. Right, right. There was always a crazy reaction from either people on the podium or people in the in the audience. Well, they're you know, called just plant- very reactionary. They're called plants. They plant them there to do that. Yeah, they're plants. They planted there because they want to get ratings. Yeah. 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 And having been to an episode of Mori Povich, I could attest to that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. But uh, one of the things that I thought was incredibly wrong was the fact that they actually brought family members of the victims of Jeffrey Dahmer mm-hmm. and they were judging you. And I got to admit, I fell for you when you were up in that audience. Thank you, you, man. I don't think many people did because they thought I was haughty or something, but I'm just defending. I mean, they thought Hollywood swooping in. I'm like, Hollywood, we're just this low budget little film. Like, but they accused, I mean, I you of, they, they accused you of glorifying him, which is what you didn't do. You didn't right. glorify what he, what I he did. That. We tried to like, uh, people say with the, uh, the voiceover of him explaining stuff, uh, it was a different perspective from what it would normally be portrayed as. So you're kind of getting a little bit of insight into his thinking um and people can miscue that as uh as trying to like uh give an excuse for it or something but i think that that's kind uh, of a false equivalency though i know i know it is but it's it's you know people are dumb you know whatever i mean uh i got a lot of horrible reviews at first and then a lot of really really good reviews uh uh when it just was there for a while and uh, it was quite a quite a trip you know uh it was so funny because when i was in high school in san francisco i i went to uh, this place called bridgemont high school and i was in journalism class and i at the top of the hill was the fairmont hotel i called up and go who's up there and they said uh oh dom deloise is playing i said okay thanks click call up dom deloise please put me right to hi and i, I talked to dom deloise I, I interviewed him and i recorded him and i did a, an article on it and uh 
So uh, years later, when I'm flying back from doing the Maury Povich show, who do I sit next to? Dom DeLuise and his son, Peter. Oh, man. Go, ah, <laughs> there you are. <laughs> he borrowed the tape from me after I finished it. He never gave it back. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, whatever. Well, I think it's great that now you have your own podcast, Fourth Watch Files, where you talk about some of the crazy things in the world that could be, couldn't be real, but it's really great subject matter to, 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 to talk about. I have you heard any of them? I did listen to the pilot episode and I do subscribe to it on my iPhone. So have you heard? Did you hear the one we did about Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard? I did not, but I'm looking forward to that because I think oh, Scientology yeah. is a crazy subject to uh, learn about. Oh, and super, I'm interested. super creepy. Yeah. Actually, the cross of Scientology is the same cross that Aleister Crowley used for a satanic church. Yeah. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, it's like the Christian coast to coast. So we talk about Bigfoot. We talk about UFOs. We talk about all this stuff, you know, and what, what the idea is to just tear all the nonsense out and get to the truth of what we're really talking about. I was just actually interviewed for a documentary on reptilians a couple of weeks ago. And I brought in a friend of mine who knows a lot about Nephilim and stuff and, uh, and blew this guy's mind. He, afterwards, he was so disturbed. He didn't even want to go home. The guy who shot it. Yeah. So we had to pray over him, you know, because <laughs> um, it's, it's very important to understand there's so much deception when you're in that world. Um, anything the occult, you know, that's why God forbade the occult in the scripture. Why? Because you're opening your mind to just total bull, to total lies of the enemy. So, but I just, I feasted on this stuff all my life. You know, my, when my father was a cardiovascular surgeon uh, in fourth grade, he goes, Hey, we're going to Hawaii during the school year. I'm like, yay. And so we were getting on a plane, you know, for two weeks. And he, he goes, what kind of book do you want? And he knew I was like, I grew up in the Adams family's attic. So I was like, I want a ghost book, you know? He bought me a paranormal ghost book, not a ghost story book. And that's he what intrigued that. you. And it blew my mind, you know, that the, and I read all about, oh, and uh, it kind of set the course for some stuff. So, uh, but now I know what they are, you know, now I know it's, they're not dead people or anything, but yeah, it's very interesting uh, to, to get the, uh, that perspective out there. So, yeah, I'm really excited because there's a possibility. There's a, a show called Lost Relics of the Knights Templar. Mm -hmm. It's on the History Channel. And these two millionaires from, from England, uh, I've seen their first series of it. And it's just, they're the only ones who have found the tr treasure from the Knights Templar. They're the only ones. And they're going through it. It's just amazing. And I wrote a script called Fall of the Knights Templar because I've studied it all my life. And it was bought from me before I even finished it. Mm -hmm. And... Um, so I was talking to them about that. So I think I'm going to have them on my podcast next week because they oh, have another cool. uh, another series coming up uh, starting in September, the second part of it. And, and I just have, love all that stuff. And you still have the California Institute of Abnormal Arts, which is the beautiful yeah. location behind you. Yep. yep. Yeah. I don't know if you can see it. That's the main stage up there. Yeah. That um, is really cool. We have cool. two stages. We have a museum and I have a... Uh, Three Dead Bodies from 100 Years Ago and all in the Ripley's book and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I'm actually thinking about moving the whole place to Vegas. That would be a great location. Yeah. 45 million tourists a year, you think so? Yeah. Mm, probably <laughs> not. not. <laughs> yeah, I know. And cool. most of my performers live there anyway. So I have no idea. It's all it's all to God, baby. Amen. Yeah. Well, listen, Carl, I know you got to run. Where can the people find out more about Carl Crew, California Abnormal Arts, your podcast? Please go ahead. Um, well, we, uh, we have a Facebook page, CI Abnormal Arts. Um, there's actually two Facebook pages, CIA, which is our history page, but CI Abnormal Arts 
is all what we're doing and uh, right now and stuff. And we're just starting to do a few little shows right now. There was also Shea St. John Couture. We didn't get into Shea. Oh, yeah. Shea St. John Trigger Happy on YouTube. It's a documentary I did about working with the most handicapped performance artists in the world. She's in a witness protection program right now. My friend's dead that brought her over here. And I tell the real story about what happened. It's 13 minutes long, 171,000 hits on it right now. Shea St. John, trigger happy. Yeah, trip out on that. Uh, yeah, that's, you know, I'm on Rumble and a bunch of different uh, YouTube uh, Fourth Watch files. And uh, yeah, amen. And Fourth Watch Files is available on all audio streaming podcast platforms. Pretty much, so, pretty much. Yeah. I deeply appreciate you uh, having me on. Carl, this was a huge, this was a trip for me. I mean, like, you're one of the actors from one of my favorite films. So oh, God bless you. This was, uh, this was awesome. And I can't thank you enough, Carl Crew. Please be my safe pleasure. in California. And no uh, God bless. And, you know, thank you for all the years of entertainment that you provided us. <laughs> Amen, Daddy. Oh, God bless you too. And bless your family. Thank you very right, much. Don't Appreciate be, it. Don't be scared. <laughs> won't. Definitely won't. All right, brother. God bless you, man. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Man. Thanks. Bye. Check out musicalslivepodcast.com and check out our parent network, ratsidereview.com. Thank you to Carl Crew. And if you're in California, check out California Institute of the Abnormal Arts and check out Carl's podcast, Fourth Watch Files. And remember, all art is valid. Have a good night. listening to the Music Aside podcast brought to you by Anchor.fm and Ratsaw Review. Check out the other shows on Ratsaw Review, including Beyond Bushido, Old Man Metals Musings, The Right Opinion, The Vieira Vault, The Timo Toki Podcast, The BS Sessions with Mark and Jerry, Just the Cheese Please, and The Friday Night Party with the great Harry Barnett and Evie. Graphics by Rocky Baia. For commissions, find them on Twitter at R-O-C-K-Y-B-A-I-A. Intro and outro music for the show is Lose Control by The Rebel Medium, written by Jacqueline Guitard, Ernest Leyuk, and Lou Mavs. If you'd like to donate to the channel, please donate to our PayPal at musicislifepodcast at gmail.com. If you're in a band and you want us to review your music, then contact us at lumavs at musicislifepodcast.com. Special thanks to Wayne Noon and Greg Noggle. With much love and gratitude to Aaron, Anna, and Aloysius. For more information, check out www.musicislivepodcast.com. And don't forget to check out www.ratsareview.com. Remember, all art is valid. Thanks for listening. Cheers.